This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the five-star novel, What Can't Be Hidden, by Brandon Andrus. When a stranger is captured in the nearby forest of the isolated and restrictive community of Petrida, a dark, hidden secret is revealed. The Petridian people discover that there are others living on the island. While panic and fear consume the town, Thura clandestinely befriends the stranger who gives her hope for escaping the only life she's ever known and finding something she has never experienced before, freedom. What can't be hidden is right on time for this moment. It is a stunning and universal portrayal of a people awakening and coming to terms with the systems that have promised to give them peace and freedom while discovering that these virtues can only come from within. What Can't Be Hidden is available everywhere online. Hello, this is Keith's mom, Joyce Giles, and I don't listen to podcasts, but if I did, I'd probably listen to A Second Cup with Keith because I like my coffee and I like hot caffeinated theology. So, why not? Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I am your host, Keith Giles. And in this episode, I want to talk about sin. And uh, apparently it's a very popular topic in Christianity in America today. What I mean by that is that um, if you go to church, if you listen to a sermon, in fact, I would go ahead and venture to guess that it would be almost impossible for you to attend a church service on almost any day of the year in almost any kind of church in America that you could go to, any denomination, uh, evangelical at least, and um, that you could manage to sit through an entire service and not sing at least one song or ten, or hear at least a mention, or if not the entire topic uh, and thrust and theme of that sermon uh, without it all being about sin. Uh, We are obsessed with it. I've just noticed this. It's part of our theology, right? We All of our focus is on that Jesus died for our sins, and uh, a lot of our debates and arguments are over whether this is a sin or that's a sin, or if this is a bigger sin than this other sin. And uh, we even have, you know, conversations about the unforgivable sin, which I want to talk about in this episode. In fact, I, I um, on almost a regular basis, get messages from people through social media and things who want to ask me about to explain to them, right, you know, the unforgivable sin. Most of the time, that person is terrified. I mean, not just mildly concerned. I mean, the people that I have talked to are almost suicidal because they are convinced they have committed the unforgivable sin and then they are going to, God will not forgive them and they're lost forever. They're, they're, they, they're beyond God's grace and forgiveness and, uh, and they're gonna, they should just go in and kill themselves. And I'm not joking. I, I've had at least three different conversations with people online. Well, in one situation, this was a young girl that lived in um, Ireland. And I was scrambling to reach out to people that I knew that, I, and I luckily I did know a couple of people in, in that area, who I thought, you know, could you swing by and check on this person? Could you look them up online and friend them and send them messages and, and see if you could meet them for coffee or something? Because I was just really, really concerned that they really might reach a point that they would take their life. Now, it ended well, just so you know, they're, they they are okay. They actually did end up meeting with somebody. And um, through a, a whole lot of back and forth conversations with them, they 
they finally were able to get over this. But what I'm, I say that and share that story to say, this is not a small thing. This is a very big thing. And this, this topic of sin and, and this unforgivable sin is something that really seriously impacts the lives of actual people in very real ways. And maybe, maybe you're listening to this and you say, well, Keith, yeah, I'm one of them. Uh, I, I, I worried about sin. I, I'm afraid that, you know, if I die and I haven't confessed my sin, I'm going to, all God's going to reject me. And so what I just have noticed is how much Christianity in America is absolutely obsessed with sin. Now, what's interesting is now when I've written blog posts about that, I've actually been called out. Uh, you know, you guys may know I, I blog on Patheos. My blog is keithjoss.com. And, um, and so I had blogged something about um, about this, what I'm saying right now, just kind of writing about this, right? That um, that we are, Christians in America, are obsessed with sin. And this is what I mean, is that from the pulpit and from our, our, our worship songs and our hymns, it's all focused on, our, on sin, as if God's focus is sin, right? So uh, we're going to get to this in a minute, why, why I think uh, this is a, a mistake for us to, to do this. But I'm just, first of all, let's just acknowledge that this is the case. It is true. Christians in America, evangelicals especially, are obsessed with sin from the pulpit, in their worship songs, in their messages. Sin is what everything revolves around. It's what you have to be saved from. Uh, it's what's going to keep you from going to heaven. Um, it's what you have to confess if you want to be a Christian. Uh, it's what the blood of Jesus covers. Uh, on and on and on. So it's all about sin. So anyway, I recently had written an article about about this. And um, another blogger, also on Patheos, um, responded. And he said, uh, called me out by name. He said, you know, uh, sin and grace. If, if nobody cares about sin, will grace go unnoticed? He, this is not a problem, he says, for, for Patheos Kamala's Keith Childs. He contends that we are obsessed with sin and how I wish this were true, he says. Because if it were true, then we could drum up some interest both in understanding sin as well as repenting from sin. Close quote. And so anyway, as I read through the rest of his article, it seemed, um, of course, he has a problem uh, that I seem to, in his in his mind, downplay sin. Uh, but what I should be doing, uh, if you, as I continue to read his article, you know, what he says is that, well, really, um, what everyone should be doing is following a formula. And he actually explains the formula. Uh, this formula that is used by pastors around the globe. And this is how he describes it. He says, I'm a Lutheran. And he says, when the Lutheran preaches, the task is clear. Convict of sin and liberate with forgiveness. The law of God reveals to us our sinful state and our abject helplessness before the throne of grace. After hearing the law, we are supposed to feel as useless and worthless as horse pucky. And then when we feel guilty, shamed and worthless, the game that the gospel comes to the rescue. The gospel pronounces the good news of divine grace. Namely, we are forgiven for our sins and justified for our faith. And after hearing the gospel, we are supposed to feel as joyful as Revelation's angels. In principle, I affirm that this, he says, is excellent theology. Close quote. So I want to thank him because he just right there gave us the formula that is repeated over and over and over and over again in evangelical Christian churches in America right? First, we have to make you feel like, as he says, um, guilty, shamed, and worthless. 
as he says, as useless and worthless as horse pucky. So that's step one. Understand then, he, he just is telling you, he's, he's exposing it. He's telling everybody, hey, most churches, when you, when you sit through a service, this is job one. This is their plan. Number one, step one. And this is accomplished by the songs that they sing. It's accomplished by the sermons that they give, the messages that they give. At least in the beginning, the first half of that service will be all about how you are supposed to feel guilty, shamed, or worthless uh, as horse pucky. And then, once they have created an intense feeling of guilt and shame and worthlessness in, in you, now they can give you this good news, quote-unquote. Um, but the problem is, not only will they do that once on a Sunday, when you come back the next Sunday, they will repeat that pattern over and over and over again. And again, this is, this is something that I see as such a problem. And here's the main reason why. Because this was not Jesus' focus. Um, when we look at Jesus, according to Jesus, um, he says, if you, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at me, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you, we want to know what the Father is like, we've talked about this many times on this podcast. And if you want to know what the Father is like, what should you do? You should look at Jesus. Okay, so now let's look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, and we specifically look at Jesus around this issue of sin, here's what we should notice. Every time anyone approaches Jesus, total stranger, doesn't matter who they are, Jesus' first thing out of his mouth is, your sins are forgiven. I challenge you to find any place in the Gospels where anybody came to Jesus and first said, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I don't, I don't think I found any place where someone asked Jesus for forgiveness, where anybody went to Jesus and said, Jesus, please forgive me. I repent. I'm sorry for my sins. Of course, we've talked about this before as well. Repentance isn't about being sorry for your sins. That's another misunderstanding. Uh, repent means metanoia. And when Jesus says repent, he doesn't mean feel sorry for your sins because that's not what the word means. In the Greek, what he's saying is metanoia. He's saying think different, change your way of thinking. And listen, we need to change our way of thinking about sin. Our attitude about sin should be the same as Christ Jesus. So if we look at Jesus, and by looking at Jesus, we're looking at the Father as well, what we see is this. Jesus attitude and response to sin is always instant, automatic forgiveness. All the time. Constantly. Jesus constantly is is voluntarily, proactively, and preemptively forgiving sins before anyone asks to be forgiven, before anyone confesses any sin, before even anyone says, I'm a sinner. It doesn't matter. Jesus' response is your sins are forgiven. And we see this echoed in the writings of Paul, right? Uh, he says in 1 Corinthians that love, and God is what? God is love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So God doesn't keep records of wrongs. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, I, I'll bet you I, I quote this verse. Somebody should tell me. Somebody count. I bet I quote this verse in every episode of Second Cup with Keith. Uh, and if I do, I don't apologize. Because it is such a powerful verse, and it needs to become, really, uh, the um, the mantra of the American Christian. This should this should be Christianity's modern Christianity's today's Christianity's 
uh, verse that this is what we should put on a bumper sticker. Not John 3.16, 2 Corinthians 5.19. And it's this. Paul says that God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us. What was God doing in Christ? Not counting our sins against us. Well, what was God doing? Well, keep reading. God was, through Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So, two big things right there, especially concerning sin. Guess what? Everybody, if you can hear me, and even if you can't, good news. God is not counting your sin against you. Number one, that's it. Your sins are have not been counted against you. Number one. Secondly, your position with God is this. You have been reconciled. The entire world. God in Christ reconciled the entire world to God's self. Right? And again, over and over and over again, you see this repeated, especially in the New Testament. Hebrews 8, 12, God says, I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. This is why Jesus, of course, the ultimate thing is from the cross in Luke 23, 34. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus forgave unrepentant pagan Roman soldiers who are nailing him to the cross and probably joking about it and laughing about it and saying, hey, what are you doing after you get off work tonight? They could have cared less about Jesus and what he was and who he was and it didn't matter to them at all. He, they didn't even know what they were doing. Jesus even says that they don't know what they're doing and he automatically forgives them anyway without their saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. So please, if you're hearing me, listen. Stop being so focused on your sin because God isn't. God is not counting your sins against you. As far as God is concerned, you and God are reconciled. That is your position right now. Your sin is forgiven. All is forgiven. Absolutely. Forever. Right? Um, I also love this verse uh, in John 8, 15. This comes right after Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of John um, that the Father judges no one but has given judgment to the Son. And then a few a few chapters later, then Jesus says this, and I judge no one. <laughs> so first Jesus says, well, the Father doesn't judge. He's given that, he's given that job to, to the Son. And then a few chapters later, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I judge no one. So again, we are not under judgment. We are not under condemnation. This way, again, why Paul can say there is no, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, we did an episode a while back about whether Christ was in everyone or everyone was in Christ. So go back and listen to that again if you need a refresher. But here's, here's the clue. Again, what does Paul think about that question? Is everyone in Christ? Is Christ in everyone? The answer is yes, according to Paul. Paul believes that Christ, he says in Ephesians, that Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all and is in all. This is why Paul in the book of Acts tells idol-worshiping pagans that, that they are in Christ and Christ is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being, our existence. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And who is that? Everyone. <laughs> who is reconciled to God? the world, everyone. Okay. And so stop, please, 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 please stop focusing on your own sin, worrying about your own sin, being so focused on your sinfulness, because God isn't. God has forgotten those things. 
Okay, God has wiped those things away. And when God looks at you, God doesn't see a quote-unquote sinner. God sees someone that God dearly, dearly loves. So um, I, I just I just want that message to be clear, and I know people don't like it. I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's just, I'm just trying to be uh, faithful to what I see Jesus doing and what I see in the scriptures. Um, so I also want to point out something. Um, there's also a place where, um, well, let's talk about this, um, unforgive, uh, the sin of unforgiveness, because as I said, this is something that I get calls about, um, and, and messages, uh, about from people on social media quite often that, as I said earlier in the, in the story I told earlier, um, sometimes people suicidal, I mean, really distraught, um, unable to think or sleep or live their lives in any normal way because they are convinced that there is something called the unforgivable sin. And of course they may have committed it. So let me just, before I dive into this too deeply, let me just say this, that anyone who is wrestling with, who is worried about, who is deeply concerned about having committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. Okay. Let me just say that. I'm going to say it again. If you are worried and fearful and concerned and full of anxiousness about whether or not you may have committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. And here's why. Because when it talks about the, this supposedly the sin that, will, that won't be forgiven, it's in the context of someone who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, you know, if someone has done this, um, this won't. This will not be forgiven them. Understand then to be at a place where you would basically tell the Holy Spirit to f off. You don't care about what God thinks. You're not worried about what God uh, is going to do to you. You have written God off completely. You have walked away completely. All right. So, trust me. Nobody who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit of the Living God uh, worries about. Hey, I wonder if I offended God. Hmm. I wonder if I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. No, uh, because the minute you're worried about it, you 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 actually care about God and you are concerned about the Holy Spirit. So you have not crossed that line yet. No matter what words have come out of your mouth, because uh, again, some people think, well, no, I remember once when I was a teenager, I, I did tell God to F off or um, I did curse God, you know, in a moment of rage or whatever. Um, that's not, that is not, <laughs> that's not what this is all about. So um, again, let's look at uh, this this question of right the unforgivable sin. By the way, there and there's also a parallel verse in the New Testament that talks about a sin that leads to death. So sometimes people conflate those two things. Those are two separate things, actually. But I guess you know the the simple thing to to, to just say, and and this should really do it uh, without getting too deeply into well, what is the unforgivable sin. Listen, there really is no unforgivable sin. Jesus was using hyperbole in this case. He's talking to the Pharisees. Um, They are in the process of saying that they don't believe that Jesus comes from God. And uh, he appeals even to the miracles that he's done. Look, if you don't believe for the words I say, believe at least for the miracles that I'm doing. The power of God is coming through me to perform these miracles. If, If nothing else for that reason, believe that I have come from God. And then they refuse to that. They say, well, you do this by the power of Satan, the power of Beelzebub. And it's in this context that he says, 
Um, listen, all kinds of other sins will be forgiven, but this one will not be forgiven. Again, I, I want to under I want to stress that this is uh, on one level it's a hyperbole. Okay, it, he, Jesus doesn't mean that there is such a thing as a sin that God won't forgive. Okay, but what he means is that the consequences for those Pharisees standing there at that point in time in history, who were rejecting Jesus, who were rejecting his message that they were in danger of what would have been and what eventually became in AD 70, the end of the age. The end of the age was coming. It was 40 years from the time that Jesus and these Pharisees who were having this conversation were talking, um, were having this, this debate. 40 years later, the, the temple would be destroyed. Uh, the, the daily sacrifice would come to an end. The, the, uh, the Jewish priesthood would cease to exist. And it would be the end of the Jewish age that occurred in AD 70. And so this is the context in which Jesus is warning them, guys, listen, this is game over for you. If you reject me, this isn't something you can come back from. This isn't something that, that oh, well, you know, oops, I was wrong. In other words, the consequences are going to be that you and anyone who follows you and listens to you in, in, in your suggestion that I be rejected and my message be rejected, this won't be forgiven, meaning you won't escape that very real invasion of Jerusalem and destruction of the temple and the end of the Jewish age. That's the context of what he's just speaking there. And I, and I encourage you to go back and read it and look at it. Uh, and, I, and I think you'll see what I'm saying. He is not saying that for all time there is a sin that, that God won't forgive. Okay? Again, for what reason? Well, for what I just said at the beginning here, Right? Let's look and see what the Father is like. Well, the Father is like Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to sin? He forgives it. How often? Always. Um, when? Instantly. Does God? Does Jesus or God require something to happen before I'll forgive? No. It's always preemptive, proactive, before anybody confesses or even says, I'm sorry. Guess what? You're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Father, forgive them. No, no, not what they do. So there is no such thing as a sin which God or Christ would not forgive. Not only that, as we just, again, talked about in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that God was in Christ not counting our sins against us. So if God is not counting anybody's sin against them, even if you were to commit a, quote-unquote, unforgivable sin, you know God what God's going to do with that unforgivable sin? Well, I'll tell you what, he's not going to count it against you. He won't write it down. He won't remember it. Why? Because he's already told us that he won't. That he has reconciled the world to himself. That he does not count our sins against us. That he keeps no record of wrongs. That he has forgotten it. That he's cast it as far as the east is from the west. So, if you die and you face the judgment and you're thinking, oh, this is it. I I bet I committed that unforgivable sin. Jesus is going to say, what sin? I didn't count. I didn't keep a record. Oops, I didn't write that down. You know, I don't remember that. And you know what? He will say consistently, based on, again, what we see, the pattern of what he established and what he told us God was like in the Gospels, he will say, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's a really important verse I want to talk about in Matthew 16 and verse 19. and. Jesus says that he is going to give the keys of the kingdom to his disciples, right? To Peter, James, and John, and the disciples. 
And then he tells them whatever that they bind on earth will be bound in heaven and that whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But the main thing we need to take away from this is who is the one holding anything against people? Is it God? No, it's us. We're the ones who are doing that. And again, let's stay consistent with everything else Jesus taught. Jesus gave us several parables of people who had been forgiven massive debts, right? There's a very famous one, the parable of the man. He's got, his master forgives him a massive debt that he could have never, ever in his lifetime paid back. And, and, the, and the master says, you know what? I forgive you. And the man is rejoicing. But as he walks out the door, when he gets to the sidewalk, he runs into a guy that owes him like 20 bucks. And he grabs the guy, throws him at the ground, beats him. And the guy's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. You know, Give me a couple of days. I promise I'll pay you. And the man refuses to pay him. Even though he himself had just been forgiven something so massive, right? And then, of course, the word gets back and and he comes back before the master. And the master says, didn't I just, aren't you the guy that I just forgave? Like a debt that was more than you could have paid back in two or three lifetimes? Yeah. Then why couldn't you forgive someone that owed you 20 bucks, right? So it's the same kind of thing. I I, I really believe that if we understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus is handing the keys to the kingdom to people like you and I who have been forgiven debts that are greater than we could ever imagine. And God has said, God has said in Christ, I have reconciled you to myself. God says, in Christ, I no longer will keep any record of wrongs, right? I'm not counting your sins against you. Absolute freedom and grace. Now, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What should you do with them? What should you do with this this ability that I'm giving you? You owe forgiven one. You who have been forgiven so beautiful, uh, so beautifully forgiven, so great a debt. You know, so the master would now leans back. Jesus leans back and says, yeah, show me. Show me how you are going to forgive now that I have shown you what great forgiveness looks like. Who will you decide to hold against something against them? Who will you decide to bind? And who will you decide to set free? Well, I'm gonna, it's up to you. I'm going to give you the decision to do that. But again, it's not God who's doing that. Because again, what as far as God is concerned, everyone is reconciled. Everyone is forgiven. So really, when I read Matthew 16, um, 19, what I hear Jesus saying in that verse is, is something like this. Here's my paraphrase. Stop holding things against each other. You've been forgiven so much. You've been forgiven so much. So I encourage you to forgive even more. And so this measure that you use to judge and hold things against other people, yeah, is the same measure that will be held against you. So maybe stop playing this sin comparison game, right? Uh, Stop doing that. We should stop holding sins against ourselves because God doesn't. We should stop counting sins of people around us who, who may sin differently than we do. Why? Because God doesn't count sins. God God doesn't hold those things against us. So why are we? What are we doing it for? Why are we the ones running around uh, counting people's sins? And not only that, why are we the ones running around quantifying and defining 
this is a sin or that is a sin. Understand, doing that is all about power and control, right? Anytime any person says to you, ah, that's a sin, what are they doing? They're bringing guilt and shame and fear into your life. And Jesus, if Jesus has done anything, what Jesus has done, his whole life, purpose, and ministry was to remove guilt and shame and fear from us. So, how dare we put it on one another? Especially when Jesus is the one that took it off of us, right? We should be so acquainted with the power of being set free from fear and guilt and shame because of Christ that we would never, ever dare to put fear and shame and guilt on another person. I mean, to me, when I think about who would do such a thing, how could we, if we really understood what, what has happened, how could, we, how could we, having been set free of this horrible thing, go and put that same horrible thing onto somebody else? It, it, it really kind of boggles the mind. And so <clears throat> I encourage you, <clears throat> as far as just yourself is concerned, God isn't holding anything against you. God is not counting anything against you. I would encourage you, uh, not to hold uh, anything against yourself or against other people. And then real quick, <clears throat> looking at um, this passage in uh, Mark 3.29, uh, my favorite Greek scholar, Bible translator, is David Bentley Hart. If you don't know that, well, now you do. I love him. And um, he recently retranslated. Uh, so it's a new translation of the New Testament. I love it. Highly recommend it. And when we go to look at Mark chapter 3, verse 29, this is the passage that quite often is used about this whole idea about the unforgivable sin, okay? Uh, and this, by the way, this is just backing up what I said earlier. Uh, but I'm going to read it for you in David Bentley Hart's translation. He, here's how he translates Mark three twenty-nine. He says, But whoever blasphemes against the Spirit, the Holy One, has no excuse throughout the age, but is answerable for a transgression in the age uh, in the age to come. And so again, that's exactly what I was just saying, right? It's all about, Jesus' conversation there is all about this coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the end of one age and the beginning of the next. And it's it's essentially saying you're not gonna you're not gonna physically live long enough to make it to the to the age to come. Uh, you're gonna perish at the end of this age if you don't change your perspective on what? On who Jesus is and what he's all about and believing what you see with your own eyes. But again, it's the Pharisees standing there who are seeing things with their own eyes that they're refusing to uh, to put faith in, to believe in. So anyway, I hope this is helpful. I really do. I want you to understand. I, I don't want anybody listening to this, if you have any kind of fear, any kind of doubts about, oh, have I committed this unforgivable sin? Um, yeah, just by virtue of the fact that you're worried about it means you haven't. Okay, number one. Number two, that statement was a, a statement made that Jesus made only to those particular people living in that particular time under those very specific circumstances, which you and I do not live under. And even in, the, even in that case, it's not as if those Pharisees' sins weren't forgiven. Of course they were. Their sins were forgiven just the same as the, the sins of the Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross were forgiven. And the, and the man who was, uh, you know, who had leprosy was forgiven. And the man who was born blind was forgiven. And the, the man whose friends lowered him through the roof, his sins were forgiven. Um, 
every single person who ever encountered Jesus was forgiven and is forgiven. And so are you. So unfortunately, you know, it's this thing where there are so many things in the Bible that you can turn to a verse and say, well, the Bible says this. And well, yeah, again, lots of things are biblical, but not everything is Christ-like. And so everybody does this. Uh, I'll admit it. I'll just confess, I do it too. Um, you know, you can prove anything from the Bible. I, you give me enough time and I can find enough verses. I can use the Bible to support all sorts of things. Torture, slavery, patriarchy, you know, polygamy, all kinds of stuff. Uh, yep, those are all biblical concepts. They're not Christ-like concepts. But if I want to use the Bible to support them, I can. Okay. And so um, what everyone is doing, what every Christian is doing, who is using the Bible to defend one position or another, is they are emphasizing certain verses of a certain type, and they are de-emphasizing verses of a contrasting type, verses that don't uh, agree with their verses, right? So the verses that they want to hold on to because they made up their mind, well, this is what this is what I believe, and, and look, the Bible supports what I say right here, and here, and here, and here. There you go, see? And so anytime somebody goes, yeah, but what about over here? And what about over there? And what about over here? Well, 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 no, let me explain that away. And you might even argue that that's what I'm doing right now. You could say, well, Keith, that's what you're doing, isn't it? You know, you don't like this idea of unforgivable sin, so you just are going and grabbing verses that say there is no uh, unforgivable sin and that Jesus forgives sins all the time and all of our sins are forgiven and everyone's reconciled. And I would, you know what I'd say? You're right. <laughs> I am. Um, and so again, everybody plays that game. Everybody chooses to look at uh, one set of verses and they say, you know what, these are the things that I believe are most are most Christ-like or the most Christian or the most accurate, however you want to phrase it. And other people, then what about these other ones? Well, let me, then let's talk about those, right? And so, yes, of course, that's what I'm doing. But understand how I'm doing it and why I'm doing it is because I am basing everything on Jesus. Now, if somebody believes that they can start with Jesus and use Jesus to support this idea that people are unforgiven and people will suffer for eternity and not be forgiven and all that, well, then they're welcome to it. In fact, they don't need my permission. They're probably already doing it. Um, and so every one of us has to ourselves decide, well, which which of these are we going to do? I mean, you, you have to choose is my point. Every one of us, when we come to the scriptures, we have to make a decision. We have to say, well, I'm going to choose these verses because I believe they're more about who I believe God is. The character and nature of God is what? Well, I would say God is love. God, God's character is, um, is, is characterized. God's character is characterized. God's character is revealed in, in things like the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? This is, these are the fruits of the Spirit of the living God, meaning these are the things that that uh, the Spirit of God creates and produces in us, those that follow Christ, those, those who are seeking to live in such a way that honors the life and the teachings of Christ. So that's what I'm trying to do. And, and, and the best I can see when I look at Jesus, I see someone who embodied love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And if I could add, forgiveness. And so, yeah, those are the things, of course I'm going to choose those things. Of course I'm going to 
I'm going to lean more heavily on those things. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. And if that's who Jesus is, guess what? That's who God is. And if that's who God is, then I don't need to worry, and neither do you. And so I, again, I just hope this is freeing for you. I hope this is helpful for you. Um, and if so, by the way, I'd love to hear from you. Um, send me a note, send me a message. Um, if you're using the Ethos Radio app, you can actually send me a little message, um, a voice message. I'd love to hear from you and let you know, uh, Let me if you would let me know um, some feedback and reaction to this podcast or any of the episodes on the Second Cup with Keith podcast. I would appreciate that. Uh, I would also, a um, couple of quick announcements. I have a brand new book that's coming out. Uh, it'll be available June 28th, 2022, depending on when you're listening to this. And it's called Sola Mysterium. Uh, the subtitle is Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything. My good friend, Dr. Steve McVeigh, was so kind to write the foreword to the book. Um, I've had some really beautiful endorsement quotes uh, from other people like Thomas J. Ord, Matthew DeStefano, Steve McVeigh, of course, Jason Elam, another good friend of mine and uh, host of the Messy Spirituality Podcast, and others. Um, and, and this is a book that means a lot to me. I'm really excited about this book. Um, so I, I just want to remind you that it's coming out June 28th on Amazon, Kindle, print, and eventually audiobook. Uh, and we'll talk more about those kinds of things moving forward. Um, I also want to invite you to, um, if you're curious about this, I, I've been doing this series now for about a month, a little over a month, uh, as, as of this recording. I'm doing something called The Inner Circle, and it's over on my keychouse.com, on my Patheos blog. It's by subscription only, so it's $5 a month. But every week, um, I am going through one of the sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas, and we're looking at it and, and what it has to tell us, what, uh, what these sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas have to tell us about our connection with God and our oneness with Christ and with one another. And it's powerful. I'm loving it. I'm having such a blast um, going through this series. And and this will eventually become uh, a book in the future, just so you know. So if nothing else, you get a chance to kind of read what I'm thinking and what I'm working on um, and, and basically read this book one chapter at a time uh, as I go through it. So uh, again, you can sign up for that just by going to keychouse.com, clicking on any of the inner circle posts, and it'll little pop up will we'll, uh, be there and, and prompt you to, to subscribe to those posts. And I think you really enjoy those, if that's something you're interested in. Um, even if it's not, again, I'm very grateful. Thank you for listening to Second Cup with Keith. Uh, the podcast has been growing. Uh, I get so much good feedback from people uh, after every episode. I thank you all so much for the positive feedback. I love doing these, by the way. This is a, this is actually so much fun. It's the highlight uh, every time I get a chance to sit down and record a second cup and share it with you. Uh, I love doing it, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. hope you enjoy also the little uh, things at the beginning. I try to find different people, uh, and I've been really blown away by the, the kinds of uh, just the different variety of people that have been so gracious, uh, including my own mother <laughs> and my wife, Wendy. Um, but also people like Kevin Max and Derek Webb, um, and Lena Nguyen and so many other people. It's just, it's kind of, uh, I'm humbled. I think it's really amazing. Uh, I've got some really cool friends and I'm really grateful that so many of them have been willing to take the time to record those little introductions for me. So, um, yeah, uh, there's some, some, you know, good things coming up in the future. Uh, can't wait to see you again. 
on the next episode of Second Cup with Keith. Until then, God bless, and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.